morning, church family. How are we? If you didn't get to Ephesians 6 yet, I hope you get there soon because we're going to be walking through it together as a church family. I want to also just, uh, I don't know if I, like, I just thank God for um, how many, many, many of you have been participating in the last 21 days of prayer and fasting. I know it's been unique uh, for each and every one of you, um, finding ways to disrupt the rhythms of your life to show God that you hunger for him more, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your partnership in that, and uh, wanted to kind of remind you that as kind of a culmination of all of our hungering together for God, tonight is going to be a night of worship, of praying, and of kind of finishing our fasting together. Um, and so we're going to testify tonight to what the Lord's done in and through us, and, and I can actually see some of what the Lord is doing in, in you, and so I'm grateful for what's, at, what's going on. And so come tonight at 6.30. And we're, today is actually the last uh, morning we're going to be doing this prayerology series. Uh, I'm actually thinking that this is how we're going to kick off every new year. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that this is, we're just, every January we're going to focus our minds and hearts in prayer and seeking the Lord. So this is probably going to be picked up next year. Uh, today... To wrap up this whole series uh, for this year, and we're going to be talking about prayer and war. Prayer and war. And I want to go ahead and uh, notify you, uh, you better fasten your seatbelts. Um, this one's going to get bumpy. Uh, this one might be a little bit intense uh, because of the nature of God's Word uh, from Ephesians 6 and what we're going to be studying today. One pastor said, Life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. War. Now, maybe that's not a fact that you consider all the time. Maybe that's uh, something that you aren't reckoning in every moment and every day. But there is this cosmic war going on in the unseen right now, a war between light and darkness, between the kingdom of God and the forces of Satan. And it's very easy for us to go into the world with a peacetime mentality, but that's not what scripture affords to us. We have peace with God, but there is not peace yet in the world. We are to go into this world with a wartime mentality. So I ask you, are you living with a wartime mentality? Do you wake up realizing that there's cosmic forces at play throughout the day? That there's much more going on around you than what you can see with your eyes or feel with your hands? I can tell you this from my own story and testimony that for half of my Christian life, I did not believe it. I didn't consider spiritual warfare a thing to be considered. I just, it was just something in the past, something that happened in the New Testament church, but wasn't for us today. And so I wasn't aware of the cosmic realities around me. I wasn't convinced of them. But there's no surprise there. I, if, this may shock some of you. I graduated high, high school in 2008. Don't worry, though. I was born in 89. I'm still a 90, like I'm not a 90s baby at least, right? I can't believe there's Anyways. But... <laughs> In 2009, the Barna Group did a survey of American Christians and found out 
the percentage of Christians who actually believed that Satan is a personable being, not just symbolic of spiritual evil, but he himself exists as a person, a living being, guess, how, guess, guess what percentage of Christians in 2009 believed that? 26%. 26% of Christians believed that Satan was a personable being, not just symbolic of evil, which meant the other 74% believed he just represented evil. And I think that might go to explain why prayer has such a powerless place in our lives. It's not influencing everything we do. But I, I finally got to this place, and, and it was a long journey. My wife was very influential in this, and, and spiritual environment at the, at, the, at the college I went to, Liberty University, uh, was very helpful in kind of getting rid of some of the baggage that I brought into this conversation. Uh, and, and, and it really helped me understand how Satan really is a, a spiritual being commanding real forces in real time in the supernatural who sought to, is seeking to spoil our lives and disrupt God's plans for our lives. And once I got to that place, I joined the 26%. A small percentage of Christians that actually believe that about the supernatural, about the spiritual realm. You know, if, if, you, if you aren't aware of this reality, or, and that probably means you aren't even a threat to the reality. And if you're not a threat to the strongholds and to the strategies of Satan, like if you're kind of just comfortable being a very passive Christian, complacent in your faith, in your action in the kingdom, then I would just tell you that you need not fear Satan. He has you exactly where he wants you. You don't need to fear his roar because he has you on the sidelines enjoying the world's trinkets, distracted from the plans and purposes of God in your own life, content with other Christians being on the field you not leveraging your time or your talents or your treasures for the kingdom of light. No wonder prayer has such a minimal place in our lives. It's because we're not aware of the spiritual war going on. Now, I would say, on the paradigm of, of understanding spiritual war, that is one extreme that most of us find ourselves in. We just, we're not reckoning it. We're not waking up realizing the spiritual realities at play in each new day around us. So we're unaware. But there's a whole other side to this conversation that's just as dangerous in this conversation about spiritual warfare. In that side, the danger is this. You give Satan too much credit. You give him more than he's due. You blame him for more than what he actually is responsible for. So you got the one side where, the, oh, there's nothing about this, and then the other side, everything's his fault. Oh, Satan made me do it. 
Oh, Satan made me sin. Oh, oh man, I can't. He's the reason why I can't break free of my sinful habit. Satan, he's the one who got me fired from work. Satan's the one who made me lose all my money in my gambling problem. Satan's the one who keeps me addicted to all my screens. Satan's the one who gave me cancer. Satan's the one who made my tire flat. Satan's the one who made my child rebel. The list goes on and on and on. Can I tell you, not everything wrong in your life is his fault. Ooh, I'm shaking. (laughs) Can he do some of those things? Absolutely. Is he doing everything of those? No. Some of those are just the natural consequences of the fall. Some of those might be ordained by God for your sanctification. Like a flat tire, nothing more sanctifying than that. Here's here's the reason why I say it this way. Satan ultimately has no authority over you who are in Christ. He just, he doesn't have authority over you. The only authority he has is what you've given him. You're a new creature. The Holy Spirit lives in you, fills you. Satan cannot compel you or make you to do anything unless you grant him that authority. The reason why is Scripture is very clear. We as Christians have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have a new authority. His name is Jesus. In the cross of our Christ, Colossians tells us that that Jesus in the cross disarmed Satan. He disarmed Satan of all his authority over you. We're no longer his children. We're children of light, children of the day, children of God. Guys, Satan can't make you as Christians do anything. Guys, he, he can't make you come to the, to the sin party in the tents of wickedness. He can only send an invitation for you to come. You as Christians have been freed up as new creatures. You've been freed up to choose how you're going to RSVP to his invitations. Are you going to go? By the way, when I say to his invitations, that's what Scripture calls temptations. Every temptation is really just an invitation. He's not making you do anything. It's just inviting. Hey, come, try this out. You might find it to be a bit better. You know, not only that, Satan can't make you believe the lies that you're believing. He can only put them in front of you. He can't make you believe the lies that you've been deceived to believe. It's your will to receive his lies as your truth over God's truth. Can you see the two dangerous ends of this? Nothing is Satan's fault or everything is Satan's fault. Let's, Let's come together in the middle where God's word is on this. Because we're finding out that one thing is very clear in this paradigm. There is a war. It's going on. 
And what is our part in this spiritual war? How do we, if we are to, how do we wage war in this life in a way that stands against Satan's invitations and Satan's deceptions, his, his, his pursuits of deceiving us? What are the ways in which we stand? How do we stand in this? Well, our passage today is going to tell us there's one answer. Prayer. It's prayer. That's how. One, one pastor in his book said it this way, until we know that life is war, we cannot know what prayer is for. Until we know that life is war, we cannot know what prayer is for. So let's take a look at the war. And let's take a look at what prayer's place is in that war, according to Ephesians 6. It's going to help us get a really good understanding, I believe. So God, would you help now? Preach your word. Get me out of the way. You may be very familiar with this passage, and maybe you have a costume for your kids to wear based on this passage. Or maybe you have a costume that you can wear. Kathy was texting me saying, hey, should I show up in some armor? I said, if you got it, bring it. She was going to read it, but she didn't. We are going to Amazon Prime that junk here. didn't come in time. It'd be funny. Paul commands us twice in this passage to put on the whole what of God? Armor, armor of God. What is armor for? Protection. War. Protection in war. You don't need armor when you're going to buy coffee from Starbucks. Well... Dangerous place to preach in, I'll tell you what. <laughs> armor is for protection in war. It's not for when you go to bed. It's not for comfort watching a movie. It's for when you go to war. Paul tells us two reasons why you and I need to suit up in the whole armor of God. Verse 11 and verse 13. First reason, verse 11. Why should we suit up with God's armor? so that we can stand against Satan's strategies or his schemes. Second reason, verse 13, why should we suit up? We suit up so that we can withstand or aka resist in the evil day. Is our day evil? Yeah. Christ hasn't returned fully yet. Notice it doesn't say that we retreat so that we can retreat in the evil day, or so that we can retreat when Satan's temptations come. No, we as Christians, we don't have to retreat from Satan. We retreat from sin, but from Satan we resist. We resist. We stand. And why do we need to stand? What, what, would, what would potentially make us fall? What do we need to resist so that we can stay on our feet in this war? Well, verse 12 explains. Why would we ever need to stand for something? And why do we need to be suited up? Because there is a war going on. Look at verse 12. He says this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, the war isn't a physical one. But, the, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Why do we suit up? 
because there's a spiritual war. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Now, Paul says here that we wrestle. In verse 12, we wrestle against these principalities, rulers, and authorities. When you hear the word wrestle... Uh, we probably are thinking of two men in leotards rolling around on a nice, comfortable mat. I don't like that. No, this kind of wrestling is different. This kind of wrestling is in a war zone. It pictures hand-to-hand combat. When, when you think of hand-to-hand combat, like actually, I, I, I relate to movies for some reason. I like to picture things in movies. And uh, Saving Private Ryan... Again, I'm not committing that as a great movie for you to go watch because there's a lot of violence and gore in it. It's a war movie. But there is a scene in that movie where, um, uh, what's his name? Private, uh, Private Mellish. He's upstairs. In the, it's the last battle at the bridge. He's upstairs and two Germans come into that room and he takes one out, but then the other one and he start wrestling to the death. And it's a grim scene. This wrestling is that intense. Life is on the line. You're engaged in a fight against spiritual forces that want to rob you of your life in Christ. These spiritual forces Paul calls rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. We don't have time to get into all of them. Basically, these are the different strata and rankings of demons in the supernatural empire in which they operate. But we, the church, citizens of the kingdom of light, we wrestle against this incredibly evil, dark, and potent enemy. And so God equips us for war. He gives us armor so that we can stand and be protected in this war. He commands that we put it on, which means that if we, the people of God, are commanded to put on armor and given weapons and to suit up for war, what does that mean about each of us? It means that we, as Christians, are warriors. It means that the occupation of the Christian is war. You see, we wage war to have our own hearts and wage war to have other people's hearts come in and find rest in the triumphal victory of Jesus who already defeated Satan's sin and death. We wage war against an enemy that lurks around in the world today like a lion that just seeks someone to devour. We also wage war against an enemy called indwelling sin, this old self that's still in us that we can't seem to get away from, who seeks to take back the throne of our lives. There's an enemy in the world, and there's an enemy still lurking around in you and me both of which are seeking to destroy. 
And in this war, you can count on it that you will be forced to wage war in such close quarters as your mind and your heart. That's why it's wrestling. It's why it's hand-to-hand combat. And it's why in the list of equipment that we pick up in the heavenly armory, we don't find the, the spear of sanctification or the, the long bow and arrow of triumph, right? We find what weapon? The sword of the Spirit. That is a close quarters weapon. This is hand-to-hand combat in spiritual war. And as Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, if you are one of those who think that in this war you can stand all on your own, take heed, you will fall. Now, in this war, we must always rely on divine aid and divine armor if we're going to stand. And one of the things I also want to clarify is that this isn't just talking about a kind of war that is waged against us. <laughs> this is about the war that we wage against darkness in the victory march of Jesus. That's why Paul both speaks of resisting and standing. We don't just simply defend, we attack. We don't just have defensive armor, we have weapons. It isn't enough that we're not conquered, we also conquer as overcomers in Christ. It's why we both have defensive and offensive equipment given on us from the armory. We're to plunder hell. As Christians, its gates cannot withstand the kingdom of God. We're to go in, take Satan's stuff, and punch him in the mouth on the way out. If you want to stand, if you want to be able to stand in this war, by the way, why is standing the the word that Paul uses here? Like, if you're in hand-to-hand combat, what's the best position for you to be in? Down on your back? All right, come on! Maybe, maybe it's on your belly? This, this, is not, this is not very good. I can't see anybody. Or, or what about, maybe it's on your knees, right? Well, what if, what if he's really tall? No, the best stance in a war is on your feet. With your balance, ready to go. Every part of you ready for an attack. So do you want to be able to stand against everything Satan wants to accomplish in your life with all of his backhanded strategies and scheming? Do you want to be able to resist the enemy in the evil day when that old sinful self starts welling up in you as Romans 6 talks about and wants to take the dominion back of your will? If you want to be able to stand, first, we suit up. We suit up in God's armor. Look back at verse 14. Look at what we've got from this heavenly armory. 
Verse 14, here's the main imperative, the main command. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guys, every vital organ in your spiritual life is defended by God's armor. And not only that, but we have this double-edged sword for attacking, all of which our Jesus won for us permanently on the cross, and we must daily suit up in this armor. You don't wake up with it naturally. You work the belt of truth on, and you put on the breastplate of righteousness onto the belt of truth. One day we'll walk through each of these very detailed but we're on our way to something more. We're equipped for this war. We're entrusted with armor and a weapon that has divine power to demolish enemy bunkers and strongholds. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. So we've talked about war and warfare. We've talked about suiting up in the armor of God. You might be asking rightly, I thought this was a series on prayer. You're exactly right. That's why Paul brings it up in verse 18. We stand by suiting up with all of this armor. And then verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Guys, we get all of this armor from the armory. We put it on. And then he says, pray at all times with all prayer and prayer. Don't make the mistake here and liken prayer to another piece of equipment that we have in the armory along with truth and righteousness and the rest of them. Paul doesn't make prayer something like your helmet or, or a shield or the breastplate Prayer is much more than just that. Prayer isn't just another God-given piece of armor. This is the truth about prayer. Prayer is waging war. In this context, prayer is waging war. It is taking your stand in the fight. The verb praying here, uh, it's in the Greek, it's called a participle, which, which means it is, it is trying to explain a previous command or a verbal imperative. And in verse 14, we get the imperative to take your stand. Stand, therefore, put on the armor, stand praying at all times. Prayer is getting ready for the war. Prayer is getting strong in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his might for the war. Prayer is getting sensitive enough and becoming alert enough so that we can easily discern what is going on around us in this war. Prayer is the way God's truth is worked into our hearts to create new warlike instincts and reflexes and dispositions. It's prayer for how we wage war. Now, I know uh, sometimes it's helpful to have an image of what it can be. And so if there is 
something that can help us picture what prayer can be like when we're in war. It's, uh, it's like a divine walkie-talkie. Right? Prayer puts us in touch with the commander-in-chief. It puts us in touch with the divine armory and all the firepower of heaven to call down fire support on this bunker or this enemy stronghold. At least that's what prayer is like for John Piper. It's what he said in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He said, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. Prayer is calling down divine firepower against a spiritual enemy who stands against you, your family, or your church. Prayer is requesting for headquarters to send a bunker-busting missile into a stronghold of sin in your own life or in someone else's life. Prayer is resisting the schemes of Satan. Prayer is how we wage war. And it makes sense, by the way, All of our faith, everything that gets accomplished in the kingdom of God, it's God who does it. We just simply ask. But do you know what millions of Christians have done with prayer? Well, first, we've stopped believing that there is this war. So there's no urgency, there's no watching or spiritual alertness, there's no vigilance, there's no strategic planning. It's just easy peacetime and prosperity. Get comfortable. And when we got there, what'd we do with the prayer time walkie-talkie? What'd we do with prayer? Well, do you guys, I I mean, I, so this, this is probably out of date now. Uh, I grew up in a home where on the walls were these little boxes called a domestic intercom. You could go up to it and you could push it and you could say, hey, mom, can you send me down some french fries? And then she'd come on, no, come get them yourself. Now these days it's like the Alexa devices some of, you, some of you don't have them because you, you know Big Brother. You're, they, you're not welcome to my home. We took a wartime walkie-talkie and we rigged it up as a domestic intercom in our houses and in our workplaces and in our cars not to call in divine firepower for, for conflict with a mortal enemy. We rigged it up so that we could call in comforts while we're in the din. Prayer is not a domestic intercom to call on God like he's a butler and he's supposed to bring in another pillow and a hot tea. No wonder James 4 tells us that prayer, the the walkie-talkie of prayer begins to malfunction when you use it for your own selfish gain. 
Prayer works best when we use it for what it was designed for, to get us in touch with our commander-in-chief who's at the command central, ready to strategically use us to make war and send divine aid. So what's the challenge here? Pray. We pray. We are a people of prayer because we are understanding more and more the cosmic forces at play around us are too significant. When demonic strongholds are too strong, we fast and we pray. And ask the Lord to send the enemy-busting bunker missile. We pray in all sorts of ways. In fact, Paul gives us four alls in praying in the war. In verse 18, the first thing he says is that we're to pray with all kinds of prayer. Can you say pray with all kinds of prayer? We're to pray public or private, with loud cries or soft whispers, with planned prayers or spontaneous prayers, sitting, standing, kneeling, laying down, walking, at home or at church, working or traveling, with your hands folded or your hands raised, with your eyes opened or closed, offering praise and adoration and thanksgiving and confession and imprecation and petition with specificity or all in general. All kinds of prayer. Not only that, we're to pray at all times. Can you say all times? We are to walk in continual God consciousness. Where everything we see and everything we experience is turned to prayer. That's what Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. Third, we see in verse 18 that we're to pray with all perseverance. Can you say all perseverance? perseverance. Y'all are getting less enthusiastic. (laughs) We're to pray earnestly. We're to pray courageously. We're to be persistent, bringing everything before God, not withholding anything. And then lastly, we're to pray for all the saints. Can you say all the saints? saints. I am firmly convinced that the most loving thing that I can do for you and you can do for me is to lift you up to the Lord and say, help them. It's to pray for one another. So this, brothers and sisters, or better yet, I should say, warriors of Christ, this is your call to war. Pray. Suit up and pray. Pray and then pray some more. When the urge to lie, to gossip, or to lust rises up, you are not powerless against them. You have power from on high given to you, so you pray. When your family or friend is drowning in sin habits, you pray. When you're lost and you're feeling alone, you pray. When you need to figure out what's going on in your life and to get some direction, you pray. When you have the sense that you can't make it through the darkest night of your life, you get on your knees and you pray. When Satan is causing another one around you, a brother or a sister, to fall and to stumble again and again. You get on your knees and you pray. 
You pray in the spirit. You pray with alertness. You pray in all kinds of ways. You pray all the time. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus called you out and saved you, he did not call you to a life of comfort and ease. Following Jesus will always lead to severe conflict with evil. Jesus' ministry started with temptation from some, some Satan himself. It ended with a cosmic war on the cross. Affiliating yourself with Jesus means you're declaring war against the principalities and powers. So evil will surround Evil will attack, especially when you start to really get serious about your relationship with Jesus. When you go hard after Jesus, when you live your life sold out to all of Jesus' strategies and schemes, the enemy forces of darkness might then start to know your name, just like they did with Apollos and Paul. They didn't know those sons of Sceva, had no clue who they were. But Paul and Apollos, they know, but who are you? No, when you live your life sold out for the kingdom of God, and you give everything that you have to Christ and his kingdom and his kingdom advancing, You might just start to know your name. Brothers and sisters, I, I just I think one of the ways I want to help you understand a little bit more about what this can be is I, I just I want to tell you a moment where uh, I, I personally was, was struggling. Uh, and um, I hope it's okay that I, I can bleed in front of you guys. Um, so uh, a few months ago, uh, you guys graciously sent me on a trip to Jordan. And just an incredible, incredible time. The Lord stretched me and, and pulled me, and it was really good. Um, just incredibly powerful. And, and while I was on this trip, I had an opportunity to preach um, at a school graduation um, to Iraqi refugees. Now, keep in mind, these are refugees who fled ISIS. These are refugees who... Um, who had fled for their lives because they were being hunted. And they made it to Jordan, and the school was started, a Christian school was started for these kids. And I get to, I get to preach to their parents, hundreds of parents there. And uh, I preached the gospel through the, the gospel of John chapter 11, um, using the life of Lazarus and his resurrection um, to how God was raising to life what they thought had died when ISIS took everything from them and hunted them down. This church, this school, was God using people to raise to life what they thought was dead. And so, just, I, I really felt like it was from the Lord, and I got off the stage, and, I, and the ceremony keeps going for another 45 minutes to an hour, um, and I'm sitting there surrounded by hundreds of people, and I start to have thoughts in my mind that I have never, ever thought before. 
thoughts that I was a, a terrible preacher and a, a, a buffoon of a pastor, thoughts that I, I'm not an evangelist, I shouldn't be preaching anymore, thoughts that when I get home, I'm just going to quit um, because I'm just not good enough, I'm not doing anything good, no one even cared about what I said. And that went on uh, for, for about 15 to 20 minutes, but it felt like a lifetime. As the service proceeded, I was surrounded by all these people, and yet I was just drowning. And by God's grace, His grace alone, I, I simply just I reached my hand up as I was drowning, and I asked Jesus to help me. Because I, I knew that some of those weren't true. I know I have a lot of improvement ahead of me by God's grace. And I asked Jesus to help, and I, and I realized, became alert to or aware of, that these thoughts were coming from Satan himself. And I just, I prayed. I prayed. He was waging war against me. I decided to wage war against him, and I prayed, and I called down divine firepower under my breath, and I said, Jesus, destroy Satan's schemes at this very moment. I know he has no authority over me. I will refuse to believe the lies that he's telling me now. Now, a lot of us think the Christian life and growing up in sanctification is like mechanistic, and it's like, I still have to obey. Sanctification is a supernatural thing. And in that very moment, every single one of those thoughts was absolutely gone. They were, they, were, they, were, they were nowhere to be found. I couldn't even go find them in my mind. I was freed up. And you know why? Because right after this, they had a big birthday celebration, and there was a lot of kids who wanted to come talk to me. And if I was drowning, I would not have been freed up to love on them and to preach the gospel and to witness to them again and again and again. And so praise the Lord that he has authority to blow up Satan's strategies and schemes in your life. We just call it down. We ask for it. We pray for it. And I praise God that I didn't leave that incredible ministry opportunity on the front lines of missions, sharing the gospel. I didn't leave that moment carrying lies with me that Satan wanted me to pick up that would redefine me and take me out of the war. Guys, praying is waging war. And this war will persist until Satan, sin, and death are thrown into the lake of fire. And by the way, he knows that's where he's going. I'm going to play off of a missionary who said something like this, but I'm going to make it a command to us. Brothers and sisters, I want us, every single one of us, to live our lives in such a way that when we die, all of hell will rejoice that we've been taken out of the war. So how hard are you going to live? How severe? Not in demeanor, but when, when your right hand causes you to sin, are you going to cut it off? With that kind of severity? 
If your left eye causes you to sin, are you going to gouge it out? Now, if you come in next week missing an eye, I love you. You've misunderstood. <laughs> please, please keep your hands and your eyes on your body at all times. That's the command about the severity on our war against any temptation or sin. Because all of that simply comes from our heart. And that's the battleground. How committed to God's mission will you be? Will you take your stand? If you want to live life and be comfortable, then don't fight to do anything of eternal significance. You'll be just fine. Don't fear Satan. No worries there. And by the way, even if you do live hard for Jesus, you still don't have to fear Satan. He's not authority over you. But if you want to participate in this war, in this war there will always be danger. And the better you live, the more dangerous it gets. But if you want to see God's kingdom advance and the forces of darkness retreat, if you want to see hell plundered for all of its treasures and won back to the kingdom of God, if you want to see strongholds destroyed and chains broken in people's lives, then suit up. Go to war. Pray. Again and again and again and again, praying at all times with all prayer and all supplication. This is our call to war. This is the fight of our lives. Pray. So at this time, I, I want you to pick up your spiritual walkie-talkies. You guys know the advances and the strategies of Satan. I'm, I'm believing that if you are a Christian, there is something that the Lord has convicted you of. That there's something that continues to just spoil your life again and again and again. And it's just, you can't get rid of it. Whatever it is, it's a stronghold in your life. I want you to pick up that walkie-talkie right now. This spiritual walkie-talkie to Command Central. And I'm asking you right now to bow your heads. And I want you to call in divine firepower. And I want you to pray that the Lord would bust open strongholds of lust and envy and anger and bitterness and pride and doubt. And maybe it's not just in your life. Maybe it's in somebody that you love who has continued to rebel against Jesus. They've set themselves in opposition to God and they live far from him and their hearts are hardened. You can call divine firepower in and ask the Lord to wake them up and to revive them to new life in Christ. Call it in now. Lord Jesus, we need not fear the night because we are children of the day. We need not fear the God of this world because we have the God of the universe. We need not fear the kingdom of darkness for we are citizens of the kingdom of light, 
children of the day. But God, we want to be alert and aware. We want to be walking in this world with a vigilance like we're behind enemy lines. Knowing that there's an enemy seeking to cause us to stumble and fall when we ought to stand. God, if we have bought into this lie that we are powerless against temptation or deceptions, any invitation from Satan, if we have bought into that lie, would you obliterate that lie? Because you have told us in your word that we have been given power, we've been given weapons in our right hands and in our left hand that destroy enemy strongholds and tear high towers down. God, I pray that we would be a vigilant people. That we would not glorify the warfare, we would glorify you. That we would be a people who are not ignorant of the war, but have a sober mentality about what all is what. So please, God, give us an alertness and an awareness. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise up more and more individuals with a spiritual discernment and awareness. I pray, Lord, that you would also raise up more and more prayer warriors. There's a reason why, God, those two words go together in our culture. Prayer, warrior, war is prayer. Prayer is war. So, God, I pray that we would be a people defined by prayer because we're sold out to your kingdom advancing into the darkest places, into the hardest-to-reach places. God, may your kingdom go forward. Send out workers to the front lines. And I pray, God, I pray that your word tells us that no weapon that Satan forms against us will prosper. May we not subject ourselves to his weapons. May we take our stand, suited up, praying at all times. Our faith is in you. It's not even in our ability to pray. God, we know this walkie-talkie, if it doesn't connect to you, then it's worthless. You are our power. You are our strength, our help, our shield. You are our fortress and our refuge. You are our uh, everything, God. And so, so we recognize that, that it's got to be you who does this all. So where faith is failing, rekindle it. Where, where hope is dying, revive it. Where, where awareness and a, and a severity in the Christian life about a, a, a severe holiness, a desire to be holy and, and like Christ, rekindle it, God, we pray. Awaken us again because we love you and we hunger for you, God. Would you destroy every chain and every bondage in our church family. Habits of sin, may they be destroyed. Influences of darkness, may they be obliterated. Keep us from temptation, God, and deliver us from evil because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name.
Amen.